Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't know how to connect to my emotions. Like, I don't know how to connect to what I'm feeling outside of anger, outside of frustration. Because as, as a man, we are taught to suppress sadness. We're taught to suppress fear. We're taught to suppress gooey, like, intimate, like, love and desire because that's too feminine, that's gay, that's not manly. Welcome back, lovers. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, and today I have an episode with just me and Andre Lazarus. If you've listened to last week's episode, he and his partner, Susanna, shared so many beautiful insights about their life, about their experience in the military, um, about dissolving their marriages and creating this beautiful partnership by design. Um, And I wanted to keep going. So actually Andre and I recorded for another whole hour. (laughs) And in this episode, he shares so much about the male experience that I often can't speak to. So I'm really grateful that we had so much time together and now onto the episode. You just you just said what's that up February holiday oh yeah Valentine's Day I, I'm just also the relationship coach right Andre Lazarus just, ladies and gentlemen I'm unlearning so many things when it comes to also just the representation of holidays as well that I celebrated so like fervently and now looking back at it and doing more education around it I'm like wow like I was on stage like singing about Christopher Columbus and everyone was like clapping and shouting and like that's what that was my early education so it's just been fascinating to kind of also again deconstruct which we've talked about yeah and so what is like for a holiday like Thanksgiving for example which you know we had just celebrated Mm -hmm. um mean to you yeah um I actually I don't know the last time I said like happy Thanksgiving. I usually say happy holidays because Mm -hmm. just from, again, my own education, it, for me, there's just a lot of like rooted um, just genocide and things when it comes to that. And I don't want to get too far into that, but um, yeah, it's a holiday that at least it brings family together, but the way that we look at, Thanksgiving or the way that Thanksgiving was constructed and the way that we were taught, like I'll say for myself in school around what Thanksgiving was, is much different than the more researched version of, of that time. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that this conversation now is going to be a lot about unlearning. Um, and you know, I wanted to have you sort of back to talk more about these things um, sort of as, you know, uh, you know, cis presenting man in our society who, you know, as we talked about in the previous episode that we just did with Susanna, your partner, 
you know, unlearning non, you know, monogamy and unlearning what it means to be in relationship. Um, you know, a traditional family model isn't something that you wanted past your first marriage. And I was like, this is a conversation um, that I want to go a bit deeper on. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to actually start with your military background because, you know, we, you touched on it, but coming home from, you know, being, being deployed and being a Marine, um, you said like, you look at the world in a totally different way than when you were, you know, active in your service. And yeah, I would just, I would just love to hear what that, what that is. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'll, I'll give a quick like synopsis. I'm one of the only members of my family to be in the military. There wasn't like a lineage, which can happen. Um, I was very interested in serving something greater than myself. And I started in the Navy as a, um, a Navy SEAL contract. So I was going through pre-buds, finished pre-buds. Um, I decided to leave that training. I dropped I DOR'd, I became a corpsman in the Navy. Then I switched over to the Marines as an officer. And all of that during that time was me in this rooted, very masculine, patriarchal institution of like, you're being taught to kill. You're, or you're being taught to be someone who is defending what is the people that around you that you love and your country and you know oorah you'll hear that term oorah and then going to afghanistan um i was there for a year in 2014. i personally got to witness just the misconceptions around what is the enemy what is war what is like patriotism and some of the things that I'm saying are very unpopular opinions, especially for someone who served in the military. Um, but I realized quickly that the lines of who is the enemy were quite blurred for me. Um, mm. And when you start to learn and start to receive reports and you get to sit in these briefings, some of them classified, um, and nothing I'm saying is, is classified, but um, where this person who is emplacing a bomb on a road to harm or kill U.S. service members is doing so because their family is being tortured or being threatened by death, it's easy for us to say in a moment, oh, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I, would, I would stand up for what was right. Well, it's easy to say when you don't have a family member who's being held at the brink of death if you don't do this thing. So now is this person, this farmer, who's doing something that's going to hurt people, is he a bad guy? Or is Mm -hmm. he doing what he felt was necessary for him to sustain the life of his loved ones? I can't Mm -hmm. say I would do anything different. It it would be very hard for me to, to say that. So that's where... I started to become more disenchanted with, you know, what I was doing. And I came back to the US after my deployment and transitioned out of the military. And 
I transitioned into um, executive protection. So I was a bodyguard for celebrities, CEOs, and I did that for a couple of years. And it was still very rooted in like, again, this machismo, masculine, gun-toting world that mm. while I can be in, I actually fit in very well into that world. That was only a small piece of who I am. I, I realized very young that I was so in touch with my feminine as well. I believe in the masculine feminine dynamic that it lives within all of us. And I wanted to explore more of that feminine. I wanted to pull away from the stereotypical um, type A masculine dynamic and start to explore what else was there. And when I was able to share that life and that discovery with Susanna in our open relating, that's when I started to really lift the veil on a lot of the things that to me at first seemed um, unachievable or unreachable. This thing that mm -hmm. just you, you can't touch because you're a man, you fit in this box. And if you step outside of this box, then who are you? You're, you've, you've lost all of your masculinity. Yeah. Did you, now hearing you say, first of all, thank you for sharing so much of your story. Um, I think that a lot of people who maybe have your same military experience can resonate, um, you know, whether they share it publicly or not. And, and maybe some don't, and that's okay for the people who this is landing with. I'm really glad you're here and you're listening. Um, you said that you had always been in touch with sort of your feminine and had this balance from childhood. Did you feel you had to turn that off? when you were in the military? Like, was there space for you to um, be feeling that and express it? Um, or was it suppressed then in that, in that chapter of your yeah, life? Yeah, um, you have such great questions, by the way. I just have to say, um, kind of a variety. When I was um, in SEAL training, I definitely felt like I had to turn it off. Um, there, you're being trained to be an elite killer. And I first, I, I want to say I so honor all of the service members that do the work they do. Um, we've created a world where these organizations are necessary for the, you know, protection, survival of those around us. Um, but in that particular organization, that particular group, um, I felt like I could not show that, that if you showed any weakness, that it was targeted. So mm -hmm. you had to present as this person who was superhuman, you don't feel pain. It doesn't matter if you're screaming on the inside, you show just complete, just deadpan, like lack of emotion on the outside. And then when I was in the Marine Corps, while also very aggro um, type organization, I was lucky enough to find a really beautiful group of um, men and women, they identify as men and women, um, who also were very in touch with their 
masculine or feminine, depending on the gender that they, they identified as. So I found a really gr great group of men who were into cuddling and into hugging and into, you know, showing this, you know, feminine, beautiful, playful side that might fit more into like the element of what is like the feminine. So in mm. that, I was able to really show myself out a little bit more. Um, there were still moments of like not showing that depending on who I was with, where I was at. I'm also an officer. I was a captain in the Marine Corps. So as an officer, you are in charge of a bunch of different people and you're an example. So you see like tattoos on my body now when you're an officer, especially in the Marines, you don't have tattoos. You wear like certain clothing. You have to like be like this object of like perfection in the eyes mm. of what is perfection in the Marine Corps um, right. to set an example. So the real me, the true me, I could not show. I could not bring out because like we talked about before and the last time we talked, like, there are laws like in baked into the military that can get you in a lot of trouble incarcerated, even if you don't follow them. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of, there was a lot of fear around like truly allowing the feminine to take shape. And only when I left the organization did I really feel like my journey was just beginning. Yeah. And, um, Thank you again for, I think, sharing so vulnerably this experience um, because I'm sure it's not like you're saying um, you took that moment to say that you honor and respect like all servicemen because I'm sure that it's not, you know, looked highly upon when people express something against like a law or a rule, right, from this like elite organization that so many people in our country look to, um, subscribe to the values, the core, you know, um, values of, and it's seen as this like standard of excellence, right? Um, as it stands today, and I should know this actually, I should have, should have done my research, but where, where are we on, um, you being able to be openly gay in the military? So, there's just like a total side question that I'm curious no, no, about. No, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, don't actually, know. I remember this was, I actually remember because we had to stop everything we were doing. We all got pulled into this um, conference room because we were getting a briefing on the um, changing of the rules on don't ask, don't tell. And that mm -hmm. was 2010. So in 2010, um, I think that was the timeline, don't ask, don't tell was repealed. And after that, you started to see more individuals who were feeling more comfort, more courage. I want to say the, the first individuals that were coming out courageously, I should have gotten a medal should have been like recognized beyond anything else because to do that in an organization like the military showed just unfathomable courage um 
but yes, you can be openly gay, um, gay, lesbian, LGBTQI plus in the military. There are, I can't say that it's widely like recognized as being a safe place to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a colleague, um, uh, transgender colleague who has transitioned, um, now that they are out and, um, had felt this way about who they were when they were in the military, but did not feel safe to explore that did not feel like they would be safe, like physically safe to do so, not just emotionally. So it, they waited until after the military and after they felt comfort to, to transition. So while it's, yeah, you're allowed to, it's legal. It's still not what you would say is like widely accepted as a safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when I feel like you hear blips of it being talked about that it could be, you know, reinstated. Don't ask, don't tell. Um, you know, just from like some conservative political camps and we don't often talk about politics on this show, but I think that's why I was questioning it because I remember after <clears throat> the overturn of Roe, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are in in politics or, you know, helping people organize saying like, these are the things that are being talked about that could be next to be sort of overturned or reinstated. And so, um, you know, I imagine that it doesn't feel safe when there are many people in the country talking about the fact that something like don't ask, don't tell should like come back. Um, but to, to kind of like navigate to deepening this topic here of like being able to express your feminine and being, you know, being able to be intimate with, you know, other men. We touched on this very briefly in the previous episode that we did with your partner, but you had sent me this reel um, from Trevor Noah, right? I really feel like we don't speak about this enough is people don't realize how often men are experiencing a lack of intimacy. And the only place that they can experience that intimacy is through sex. We've created a society where men are so afraid to be vulnerable with each other, to be, you know, sensitive with each other, to care for each other, to love each other. You know, even saying that as a guy, you always have to change and be like, you can't just say, I love you. You have to be like, I love you, dog. You know what I mean? You, you, gotta, you, you gotta throw it like you can't just say it. And, and it's interesting because that, that is where I do feel women have done a much better job of being there intimately for each other. Not sexually, but intimately. And I think we take for granted how much in society men who say sex is the thing they're not getting are actually struggling with a lack of companionship, of intimacy, of being in a space with a person where, they, where they're sharing you know, everything from serotonin to endorphins to what, to what humans need to feel. You know, and, and I, I hope we can change that conversation just a little bit more. I, you know, I hope we get to the place where guys go, oh, I actually, I actually didn't need the sex. I needed to be held. And I live in a society where it's hard to be held unless I'm having sex. Because as guys, you can't just go to a guy and be like, just hold me. <laughs> True. There are many sex workers who've, who've talked about this, where they'll talk about how many men will pay them and then say, hey, can we just talk? 
And it was one that I had seen that I had already been like, this is incredible. And I love, I love, love, love Trevor Noah. But it was all about how, you know, men in our country, in our culture, you know, um, as well, because, you know, he's um, not, Trevor Noah is not American. So I think he was speaking like at large that men are really lacking intimacy and they're really starved for intimate connections. Um, and it's like not okay. They don't feel safe to be vulnerable to say like, I just need to be held, um, you know? And so men think that they're lacking sex or really craving sex because it's the only space that they can be held in. That's like normal, right? Yeah. That's like, okay for a man to be that way. And, and he went as far as to say like that he had been talking to sex workers and like, I am, have a lot of friends who are sex workers actually who told me the very same thing that they get paid so often to actually just sit and talk or just cuddle with men who, you know, don't have it. They don't have it in their relationships with women and they certainly don't have it in their relationships with men. Um, my personal experience, you know, I live in a really beautiful open community and open, not meaning like open romantically because, you know, my husband and I are actually some of the few in our like group of friends here that are open, but just open in general of like loving humans where we see all the men have these like really connected relationships. My husband's friends are just like warm and they like love mm -hmm. and they hug each other and they cry together and it's beautiful. Um, but I forget sometimes that this is a bubble that I live in totally. and most of the people listening to this show don't experience that. They don't have it. Um, yeah. And so I, I haven't had a lot of men on. I'm really stoked because you are a relationship and intimacy coach. And I know that this is something that you work with all the time. Um, you know, with your clients who are, you know, male or male presenting. So, you know, what is the, the number one thing you are seeing um, men struggle with in this realm? Mm -hmm. There's, <laughs> there's many things. Um, I would say the thing that I see most often or that I hear most often is I don't know how to connect to my emotions. Like I don't know how to connect to what I'm feeling outside of anger, outside of frustration, because as, as a, a man, we are taught to suppress sadness. We're taught to suppress fear. We're taught to suppress gooey, like intimate, like love and desire because that's too feminine. That's gay. That's, mm. that's not manly. So instead lean into the emotions that are, you know, male driven anger fear judgment resentment mm -hmm. and i'm generalizing first i want to say like this is more generalizing 
um, and speaking to my experience. So everyone's going to have a different experience. I'm just sharing mine and people can take what I say as much as they want and throw the rest out. But what I see mostly in the, the clients that I have who are male presenting, again, that disconnection from emotion and the idea that showing that emotion is weak or makes them less of a man or now is opening them up to vulnerability that will challenge the fiber of their being that makes them feel like a man. So mm -hmm. I say that also seeing more men searching for that, like finding me, finding me, finding other coaches, finding other people to like unlock this and just ask questions. So there's like, I feel like an awakening, even though they might not tap into it right away, more people are starting to ask these questions, are starting to tear down these like societal like structure of what it is to be a man, what it is to be masculine. Um, I think it was Brene Brown who she talked about how she at first didn't work with men. She at mm. first focused mostly on women and worthiness and shame and guilt. And she was at a talk and she was approached off, off stage. I think I'm, and I'm, I might be misremembering how it all went down, but this man approached her and said, you know, you know, it's very convenient that you talk only about women. And then she said, well, why is that? It's like, because here as a man, my family, my wife, my children would much rather me see me die on my horse then fall off of it. That they'd much rather see me like holding my strength and not showing fear than ever showing any form of frailty or vulnerability because now who is going to hold me in those moments? Mm. Who's going to hold that vulnerability? And that was a shift where she went from only or mostly working with women to now working with all genders. Um, so yeah, there's there's still a lot of disconnection between our emotions as men when it comes mm -hmm. to vulnerability and opening to what is not this societal structure of what a man is. Yeah, I love you sharing that story and whether or not it was all the facts and exactly Brene Brown and how it went down doesn't matter. I have a friend who says, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I appreciate that because it is true. We can like harp all day on patriarchy, right? As like the kind of construct and then all of this sort of trickles down from there maybe um, and say like, you know, we wish men could connect with their feelings and X, Y, and Z, but it's like all of us as a whole. And I appreciate like that, the sentiment from that gentleman of like, it, it would create fear and uncertainty likely for his family to see him do something so completely different and to not be in control because for 
that is what we expect, right? And generalizing again from men um, to be the ones who are. And, you know, I grew up in a society like, you know, in, in a culture and in a community very much where I would hear the older men say, oh, you know, everybody gets a medal for everything just for participation these days. And there's no competition and, you know, guys are so soft and it's very East Coast Italian. Um, but it, but it's, it's so ingrained in our culture that like there is something wrong with showing emotion for a man and it does equate to weakness and it lessens your manhood. And we have women, I think who, you know, without realizing it also can perpetuate some of that, right? Like it, it works on both sides. I often say like patriarchy is such a disservice to men as well, because not only could they not experience their full range of emotion when we expect men to fit into the dominant, stronger, like model, right? Um, but then also, like you started with this, then you're just experiencing lots of, you know, anger, um, big, explosive emotions, which are extremely unhealthy to live in all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then what does that do? It leads us to like not having connection, not only between, and we'll just use, you know, man and woman or whatever, but to cr create that polarity, but also between men. So what are men missing out on when they don't have that, you know, ability to connect with one another? Like I can't speak to it. Yeah being a woman, um, but you can, and, you know, not even in like, let's go not in a sexual way. Right. Yeah. But like in an intimate way, and yeah, like and I'll kind of pulling apart the two. Yeah, totally. And, and I'll speak from my experience rather than saying all men, because again, um, I can only speak to what I have lived through my own upbringing, my own education, my own privilege. Um, and it's going to vary person to person. But what I missed out on when I silenced that sensitivity, when I silenced that voice of there's more to me than meets the eye. I mean, I often hear from people that I at first can be intimidating, whether it be because I'm a more muscular individual. I have tattoos. I have a bald head. I I present <laughs> as the, an hyper, the part. Yeah, I, I present as a very hypersexual individual, uh, and then they get to know me. They're like, "Oh, I, I would have never guessed that was you." But um, basically, when I silenced that part of me, that question about more to the empathic side of me. When I was able to unlock that, I was able to see more in the world. And I, that's very, I know that's very broad, but when I say that, I was able to see more compassion. I was able to feel more deeply, not only with others and their process and what they're going through, but myself. I had more connection to my body, my somatic like sensation of what is my heart? What are these tingly sensations going on? I was able to, and you said like, 
not having to be sexual, but I was able to tap more into my eroticism, my intimacy, my sexuality when I woke up the rest of my body rather than like this being this cavernous, like slate blank hole that was just there as like supporting like my limbs that when this was alive and breathing and warm, I was able to find more of a connection to the erotic me. And when I Mm -hmm. talk about intimacy, there's many realms of intimacy. People sometimes will put it all into one vein of like physical physicality, like right. Romantic. Yeah. But there is emotion, there's spiritual, there's intellectual intimacy. And those started to open up again more. It wasn't just this, this one lane of physical penetrative sexual experience that is the way that I tap into, like you mentioned that uh, reel that Trevor Noah did around like that's what we as men know is a safe space to explore intimacy where we can melt, we can be vulnerable, we can like show love and compassion. But if it's not in sex, then close the gates. We're back into default world. We can't show that or else we're viewed as weak or were viewed as, you know, not manly. So that's, I think, what is shut down by not opening up a world that invites men to be emotional, sensitive, is we start to, like, shut down the components of what allows us to be fully human, which is we are, we are a mess. <laughs> we are messy beings. We are, most of us, if not all of us, in some way are full of shit. We, like, mm-hmm. we put on a face, a mask that we feel the world needs to see so that we can fit in and be accepted. And we're starting to, like, unveil that. We're starting to show. Mm-hmm. That's why you see more advertisements where not everyone is 100 pounds and perfectly stick thin and perfect makeup yeah. we're seeing more of that because mm-hmm. we're starting to like, open up our perspective of hey we're actually like real people and not everyone's going to be look the same way or be the same shape or have the same mm-hmm. beliefs you talked about bubble earlier it's so fascinating to me because i felt this when i lived in san francisco that even in that city that is so open and loving and inclusive it only is so open loving inclusive if you believe in what they believe like and i'm just saying that Mm. one city that that believes everywhere but there's plenty of views out there that i don't personally agree with but i still want to allow them into my my universe so that I don't stay in my bubble and say like, oh, right. I'm just deflecting that. I don't, that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to me. And that's why there's such a divisiveness, um, I think, in our world. But there's these bubbles to include the way that masculinity is. If it doesn't walk like and smell like and talk like this masculine 
like presenting like cisgender man, then it's not masculine. And Mm -hmm. I found a lot more of my feminine was like screaming to come out as I started to unlearn and deconstruct that. Yeah. How do we turn more towards being a society that is accepting, right? I mean, we obviously are doing this work and sort of moving in this direction. Um, But what can, you know, even people who are listening who may be, you know, don't have these direct issues we're talking about, but, you know, they see it happening in their community um, or want to be a part of the movement towards just being accepting of people, matter how they want to express and creating safe spaces for men to be more vulnerable. What does that look like? What? Yeah. How can someone take part in this? <laughs> yeah. Um, curiosity is one. Like just being like so curious about what you don't know and what you don't understand. Like there's, I just got off a call today. I'm about to go and sit in the, um, uh, ceremony uh plant medicine ceremony and i was speaking with someone who um is a clairvoyant and there are so many parts of me in our conversation where i'm like trying to like silence what this person's telling me is their work because it's outside the realm of something that i fully can comprehend or something that i've leaned into to want to understand there's so many moments where I was like, that's bullshit. Like, there's no fucking way you're a clairvoyant. Right. That. The programming is just like, the, yeah, like the judgment and exactly. shutting it down and like not being open to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So instead, I, when I ran into those moments, I silenced them and I allowed, it allowed me to open up and be curious. And who knows? Like, what do I know? Like, if this person's a clairvoyant or not, but I can be understanding. I can allow Mm -hmm. them the space to move through the world the way that they choose, just as they're allowing me to do the same. So being curious and then realizing change is such an important evolution to the way that we are, not just us, but like every species on this planet is like, Who I am today is so different than the person I was five years ago and so different than the person I'll be five years from now. But if we hang on to this idea that change is like something to not be trusted, like Mm -hmm. speaking on politics, if you're a politician and you had a belief 20 years ago and today you've changed that belief, you're no longer a trustworthy person. You're someone who's not committed to your values and how can we trust you to do this, to do that? You said this 20 years ago and now you're saying something different. Well, fuck yeah, you're saying something different. Like we, we are changing. We are learning new ways that the world is Mm -hmm. like shaping and shifting itself. So being open to change is a huge component to that. Um, And having these conversations, like the more, like while we're not so much speaking into a vacuum, you know, like you're on a podcast, you have listeners who will hear this and hopefully they'll have these conversations with their friends and they'll spread that. But um, not being afraid to like go into these moments of like, 
I don't fully understand this rather than saying, let's not talk about it or let's shelve mm-hmm. this. How can we like lean into this and be more curious and being in a world where we have more access to information, like allows more questions and it also allows for more of dumpster fire of like misinformation. Obviously there's that side as well, but at least we're asking questions and having conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love this conversation. What's coming up for me, like listening to you talk too, is like that it's okay to be in the space of the unknown and just be curious and to like normalize that because as you were sharing, I started to think, you know, you're talking about like the judgments for sure. Where are the, the parts of me where it's like, as soon as I met with something that, you know, is confronting or I don't believe or feels different or odd, whatever, it's that, that same gut thing of like, oh no, this is, this is not what I subscribe to or, um, and had me remembering, like, I grew up in a way where I felt like I had to have all the answers and like, my way of surviving was to have things always figured out for myself and for everyone else so that I could like be in control and like take care of people. Um, and so whatever, like, whatever the, like the trauma and like the survival learning is for most of us, it's that we have to have the answers and that we, you know, when we're met with like questioning or something that's going to like challenge our belief, it sends us deeper into a trauma response. Um, and so just to be aware of that sheer fact that like questioning everything, you know, and I love that your first thought and, you know, answer was to just get curious, like just to be in that space is revolutionary, like uh, on its own is activism to like be in a space Mm -hmm. where you get comfortable saying, I actually don't know. And like, I'm okay with not knowing. And like, I want to know what you think. And I want to know what you think. And I want to know what you think. I think that if we got to a place like that collectively, like we would have so much more peace on the planet. But yeah, and it's, you know, it's not like an easy, sure, it's like easy to say and much harder to do. But I think if we start normalizing the like being okay to not have all the answers and like you're not wrong or bad or in trouble if you don't, for me, that's been a lot of my unlearning and like, relearning and just allowed me to be a lot more open and to be a bigger listener rather than like a speaker, which is why I love interviewing. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to learn from other people and I don't have to have all the answers. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that, that curiosity was, you know, the first, the first thing that you shared. Um, you know, I think, I think the last thing that I'd love to hear, you know, like the last sort of question I have is what does the world look like? Like, what do you see um, if we had this complete revolution where men, you know, and anyone like identifying in, in a more male end of the spectrum would feel the safety to express themselves and connect to whatever emotion they wanted to. Like, what's that world look like from a, from a male's perspective? It's an easy, it's an easy question to answer. Um, I've actually, I've had this conversation with people both completely sober and deep in the psychedelic space. Um, tell, about, tell us about that one. <laughs> I feel kidding. like 
we would be far less angry, far less angry. I think there'd be much less violence. I don't want to say it would be eliminated, but there'd be far less violence. There would be much more acceptance. And that's a, just, again, generalizing acceptance in all realms. I believe that the way that we look at sexuality would drastically shift. I think that there mm -hmm. are so many people who are so curious about the exploration with someone of the same sex, but there's so much fear around if I even dip a toe in, I'm immediately this label or I'm immediately that label. I had that fear. I had that fear because mm -hmm. I was like, at first, I, I was interested in, in men at a young age, but I knew I wasn't gay. And there wasn't so much fear that I was going to become gay by being with men, but that I was going to be perceived as gay. Right. And I didn't yeah. want that because that was like shameful and wrong and sinful and all these other things that generally structured religion bring bring into yeah. the forefront but mm -hmm. um i feel like you would have a lot more openness in love um i mean you go back to like greek culture like the grecian times in bc men were going generally mostly men were going into battle and they were going mm -hmm. to battle and they were going to battle and they were fighting for the people that they love. And it wasn't just the wives or the women at home. It was the men next to them that they loved, that they had deep, intimate, loving relationships with that brought them closer to this understanding of intimacy, of passion, of desire, that you can have a beautiful, intimate, even sexual experience with someone of the same sex and that doesn't make you this particular label you're just a human being exploring mm -hmm. the realms of sexuality and yeah um so i think a lot of the like darker more serious lower vibration type emotions would start to dissipate more in a world where men vulnerability were more acceptable yeah that's so beautiful thank you for sharing i i know i often think back to like pre the dawn of like you know massive christianity you know not that that's the only sort of organized religion on the planet that's done a lot of harm but there was such a sexual spectrum practiced in like almost every single culture so it wasn't just this binary like oh you're either this or you're that um it was like there there wasn't there weren't categories like men were with men women were with women and everything and everyone in between was like so normal um so i appreciate that and then just one last thing i wanted to share that sort of you made me think of is like there would be so much less of these low vibrational low frequency sort of emotions and, and maybe even like acts right that that they sort of lead to like violence for example 
um, because like we fear the unknown. And what we don't realize is by not knowing these parts of ourselves, by keeping them locked up or hidden, you know, um, we create more fear in our lives because the, the only thing that most people fear is the unknown. Yeah. Like a lot of times you don't fear something that's like already happened to you unless it's, you know, been a very traumatic experience. But we have 90% of the fear in most people's lives is like things that have never happened. Um, and so when you don't know the parts of yourself that are, you know, deeply vulnerable or sad or, um, you know, abandoned, lonely, whatever it is, uh, you fear those things. And so that you fight against creating them or being in a situation that would create more of that. But the more you can meet yourself in those places, the more you're like, okay, cool. Like I've got me here. Um, it creates that opportunity to like have yourself to reparent to self-soothe whatever you need to for that part of you and you can meet the world so much more whole and so much less afraid because you're like oh I know what that feels like Um, I got to a place you know with in my relationship with Lauren who's been a you know life partner of mine for almost four years where you know we had it was like kind of a breakup but it wasn't a breakup it was a massive shift in our relationship and it was deeply heart shattering for for both of us Mm. um i had experienced a deeper heartbreak with her than i had with any man ever in my you know probably three very serious boyfriends and then my husband um and i came out of it like (laughs) it fucking hurts so bad but i was like wow i feel so alive (laughs) like i was like i never I never imagined I would look back and be like, that was fucking rad. Like it hurt so bad, but it was beautiful because I created safety in that heartbreak. And then we went on to still have a relationship, which some people might be like, well, that's why you didn't mind the heartbreak as much. Mm -hmm. But no, it was like, I deeply felt myself there and going through that fire and coming out alive and feeling even more alive is really cool. Not that I want to run towards heartbreak in the future, but it's like being on a really terrifying roller coaster. (laughs) Like there's parts of it now that I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind it. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because now it's not the unknown. Um, and yeah, so that was a little, little heady, but I don't know. I, I appreciate you sharing that. There was a lot of like really beautiful nuggets in there that, brought up like some pieces of my journey and thank you for sharing vulnerably. Um, I know that you're, you're the host, but also like you're putting yourself out there into the world and all the episodes that you do. And um, it's inspirational. It's an example for people who are listening to like say, Hey, we can have these uncomfortable, scary roller coaster type conversations and it can also be okay that we have them. And there's something that you Mm -hmm. said that around parenting oneself or self-soothing that made me think about a conversation I have with someone. And it it was maybe like three or four years ago, but it still resonates so strongly with me today that we're all children. We're all, (laughs) we really are. We're, we're little, our little selves. And somewhere along the way, our bodies got bigger 
and we added more responsibility and more expectation into our, our universe. But that young version of us is still like wildly alive inside of us. And we tend to think, oh, because we're quote unquote adults now that we, we figured it out or whatever the trauma from the past or whatever those, those wants or needs or that playfulness is like died. And I would argue that we are still that young individual boy, girl, however you identify. And the more that we can like hold that individual in those times of like hurt, fear, despair, or lift them up in those times of like playfulness and desire and joy, the more again, we can connect to the sensitivity, the compassion, whether it be masculine or feminine. So yeah, I, I constantly let my, my little boy out. And it's something that my partner and I will do sometimes is when I'm like, especially when I'm in like a frustrated moment, she's like, oh, how old are you right now? Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like 12, 13, like, oh, what, what, what does he need? Like, I, I just, I want you to hear me or I just want you to mm. hold me or I just want you to just like, give me two seconds of like finishing this ice cream because I, I fucking love ice cream. Um, but we, we do that. We play in that realm. And I think more people are awakening to that, but we don't talk about that enough. We think that that is then, especially if you become a parent, if you become a parent, you are now a parent. You are no longer a child. And let's just be, I'm going to be very honest. It's like, no, you're still a child. You just now have taken up a new identity where you are now helping another child, you know, move through the world. But we're all, we're all children and we all are still trying to figure out this weird thing called life. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I, it's, it's so cute what you and Susanna like do. Cause my therapist will actually ask me that. Yeah. He's like, how old are you in this moment? I'm like, yeah, like six, seven. That's how I feel. Um, but I think that's such a beautiful way to kind of relate and communicate and give each other the space to have that version of yourself come out and have, you know, your needs met. Um, I really, really appreciate that. I think everyone listening is going to learn a lot from this episode. Um, I'm so glad that we made this happen. Yeah, I true. really appreciate <laughs> you sharing your insights. You know, I love having people on the show from all different walks of life. And, you know, we have a lot more women on the show than men. So I, I'm really, really glad that we had this solo episode as well. And I just want to remind people um, you know, that you and Susanna have a course called Open to More for people who, you know, are navigating opening up their relationship or who want to date um, in an open way, maybe aren't coupled yet, and that you also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And there's lots of different ways to um, connect and work with you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um no, I think, uh, you know, if anyone's interested in learning more about my work, uh, I have a website, uh, coming-closer.com. 
And I just want to thank you, Jessica, for your work in the world and for continuing to have these conversations because, again, the more people talking about it, the, the more we're opening up our minds to the curiosity and the possibility. Yeah, totally. And we're going to link everything in the show notes for people listening. Um, so you can go right to the show notes and get to Andre's website and where the course is and his Instagram as well. Um, thank you again so much for coming. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you.